Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, the sun is shining, the clocks have gone forward. I say it every week, but this week I really feel like we're turning the corner. Well, we have turned the corner. Are we in spring now? We are in spring. Yes, I think so. It certainly feels like it. And in London tomorrow, it's going to be like 20 degrees. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, that's really, really good. So hopefully everyone's been doing their summer body maintenance. I'm only joking. This is a body positive podcast. But as a little anecdote, I went to go and get my freckles checked last week because, you know, I'm very pale. I've got a lot of freckles and moles. So I went to see dermatologist specialist about a couple that I wanted to get checked out. And while I was there, I was chatting away to him. He checks them out and then he goes, and if you just want to get down to your underwear, I'll do a full body check. I was not in any way, shape or form prepared for there to be a full body check by a doctor. So did you do the check or not? Oh, I did the check. But I was like, oh, my heart is pounding. And when I came home, I said to Charles, I was like, no one's seen me in a swimming costume in 12 months so no one's seen me in a bikini in probably longer than that like it was genuinely like oh my gosh I'm gonna pass out from sucking in my stomach (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading a lot or hearing a lot about kind of the weight that people have gained during COVID it's a lot more dramatic in the US by the way Mm, I, I did read that it's like what two kilos a month or something like that yeah yeah in the US it's been really really dramatic I think in the UK it's on average 3k three kilograms that mm-hmm. people have put on I mean I stayed really active throughout this lockdown <laughs> do you mean all of them cumulatively or do you mean specifically this the fourth one that we've been in All lockdown, I stayed active. Well, that's good. The thing is, as well, I think that there's two sides of it. Obviously, for some people, they did stay really active and this was an opportunity to find something new that they liked. I also do think if you put on three kilos or if you put on more than that, like at the end of the day, this has been such an anomaly of a situation. This is very low on the list of things that you should beat yourself up for. Yeah. And at the end of the day, is your body functional? Are you healthy? That's a new important thing, right? But there definitely is a resocialization aspect that I think will need to take place. Regardless of, of weight or, you know, grooming, people have forgotten table manners. One million percent. I know it. Because my husband and I don't have any kind of table etiquette with each other anymore. But when do you think you're going to be out at a table with anyone? Yeah, that's true. When I think about how much client lunches were part of my past, it's quite devastating. Yeah, I think you'll just be so happy to see someone and speak to a different person that I don't think anyone is focusing on anyone's table manners anymore. Give that a while, because I imagine that'll be the first thing to come back. (laughs) We'll see. I do hope that we open up as planned, and it seems like we are in the UK but I guess we wanted to talk about the Lil Nas X video mm-hmm. that come out. What are your thoughts or what is it that you'd like to explore on this topic? So I saw it, I think it came out maybe Thursday of last week, maybe even Friday. I love it. I really, and I really like him as a celebrity. I think that he is just someone who 
you know, he's a bit of, and you used this word about him before we started recording, you called him a pioneer, which I think is really great. But specifically in this song, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, he basically talks about his homosexuality. And I really enjoyed it. I would check it out if you haven't already. It's basically him calling out all of the people that tell him that because he's gay, he's going to hell, right? And he really kind of takes that narrative and pivots it. So artistically, creatively, thought it was a great video, but I also think slash hope it's going to spark some good conversations. What did you think? Well, I think it sparked a lot of hateful conversations. Mm, Oh, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people are really offended by that video. A lot of people are saying, oh, that video would turn, I don't want my kids to watch that type of content. It's going to make my kids gay. People don't like the satanic imagery either. Mm -hmm. So there is like a backlash, right, against the video. When I watched it, I thought, wow, you know, he really is being who he is. And I thought Mm -hmm. it was very powerful because it's not easy for a young black man to be openly gay. And it's definitely not easy for him to fully express himself creatively in the way that Lil Nas does in that video like so to be very feminine this is like pushing the boundary even Mm -hmm. more so I wasn't offended by the video I was just like oh wow I looked at it like a piece of art and I'm like oh okay I wouldn't hang this art in my house but good job but then as I've spoken to people people have been really really offended by it and said you know as a Christian how can you support a video like that my main feeling about the video was when I watched it was oh this is really sexy And you aren't used to seeing men be sexy for the male gaze. Does that make sense? So when you see female artists with videos like this, right, take WAP, that's, again, for the male gaze a lot of the time. Or what our perception of sexiness is when it's Mm female-driven is dictated by the male gaze a lot of the time. A big problem with that song, in people's opinion, was that It was about female pleasure and people don't like that. But I think that there's an immediate kind of opposition almost to videos like Call Me By Your Name because it's like, oh, this isn't masculine. As you said, like this is a very feminine performance, Mm -hmm. but we're just not used to men being sexy in any other way than a very stereotypically male way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's true. So at the time that he dropped dropped the video, he also posted something on his Instagram and it's a letter to his former self. So I'm just going to read out really quickly. So he says, I wrote a song with our name in it. It's about a guy I met last summer. I know we promised to never come out publicly. I know we promised to never be that type of gay person. I know we promised to die with the secret, but this will open doors for many other queer people to simply exist. You see, this is very scary for me. People will be angry. They will say I'm pushing an agenda. But the truth is, I am. The agenda to make people stay the fuck out of other people's lives and stop dictating who they should be. Sending you love from the future. Now, I felt emotional when I read that. Mm -hmm. Because we talk about a lot on the podcast, you know, we, we all live in a society that is very much so built on white supremacy. We live in a society that is very patriarchal in nature. And some of those will be more obvious to you than others. Like, particularly for me, the patriarchy is always more obvious than the white supremacy, right? Mm. Because I'm white. 
And it's easy for me to also forget that we live in a hugely heteronormative society because that is also something that doesn't really impact me at all. And I just thought about the bravery of him saying, acknowledging that he had always said to himself, I'm never going to be that type of gay person because there's also kind of a social currency about what we will allow. And if you're flamboyantly gay, that's just not acceptable. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where even as a black person you feel like you have to tone down your blackness so I won't use slang when I'm at work but white people my age use slang at work right but you feel like you can't and I remember like you know I was talking to people about this and they were even saying like they don't even eat chicken for lunch at work oh wow because it's such a strong stereotype. People feel like they can't eat chicken at work. They can't use slang at work. They have to like tone themselves down so much because you're already black. You feel like you don't want to draw further attention to yourself. And say, so when I hear, when I hear Lil Nas say, oh, we would not be that gay person. It's like, well, you're already gay. Why draw more attention to yourself by embracing that feminine energy? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look at this from like a racial aspect, what he's done is very, 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 very bold because African-Americans are still incredibly conservative when it comes to sexuality. You know, black communities globally are still very conservative when it comes to sexuality. So his decisions, I feel, are even more brave in that context. I feel he's got way more to lose in the hip-hop culture by embracing who he is in such a flamboyant way yeah, than maybe some other genres. I also think that personally, as someone who was raised Catholic, there was no part of me that, that saw that video and thought, oh, this is absolutely, like, unacceptable, this depiction of... So the satanic imagery didn't bother you? At all, because you know what I think? I think that religion shouldn't be above social commentary and religion has informed so much art anyway that particularly when it's been used as a persecution tool as it has been for black people and non-straight people right let's use the the whole umbrella term here because it often is non-heteronormative people that are persecuted by religion I think, well, he can absolutely take that and make a commentary on it because his life has been laid out for public consumption and people have made plenty of commentary on that, you know? But I think a lot of people that are very religious feel differently. I think people are within their rights to feel how they feel about the content. Totally. But do you remember when Lady Gaga did the video for Judas? Like, that was laden with specifically, like, Catholic imagery. You know, she was Mary Magdalene and her lover was Jesus Christ, I think. It's been a while since I've watched that video. And it's like, that was 100%, I can categorically say, that that was not met with as much condemnation. Okay, yeah. But it's a it's a combination of him embracing his sexuality And I personally think people are using the satanic imagery as, I feel like people are hiding behind that and they're using that as the leverage when 
this is really the homophobia. It's really the fact that we cannot stand a young black boy twerking, being feminine and embracing his sexuality. It's like people don't like to see it. I absolutely think you're bang on. I think that that's such a good way of putting it as well, that people want a scapegoat to mask the actual thing that they take issue with. Yeah, it's more socially acceptable to say, oh my gosh, I'm Christian. He's devil worshipping. I personally think it's a marketing strategy. Like I can't bring more energy and more outrage for a video than like real injustices in the world. <laughs> so that's why I think I'm I'm not bothered by it. But then apparently his sneakers that he's releasing also have some satanic associations. Yeah, so I've done the, the barest level of reading on this. But my understanding is that there are two pairs. There's like the angelic pair and then the satanic pair, if you will. And I'm saying this and I'm laughing because I'm like, this can't be true. But there was something about the satanic pair having like one drop of human blood in it or something. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So like, personally, I look at it like that's marketing. The reason why I think what Lil Nas X is doing is very important is because when you are not a member of the LGBTQ plus community, you do underestimate or have no clue what people are still going through until this day. And there's a podcast that I love, and it's the I Am Athlete podcast. It is the best podcast out now, in my opinion. And they had Dwayne Wade on the podcast, and they were talking to him about Zaya, so his child coming out as a trans female. You know, how did you manage that, you know, as a family? You know, how do you manage that as a Black man? And he was saying that I really had to educate myself because I'm in the locker room. And I'm in a homophobic environment every single day. People are using homophobic language very, very casually. So when, you know, my child comes out, Zaya initially came out as gay um, and there was a school project. And then she basically came out, you know, the school project was talk about yourself. And then when she came out, the teacher called home and said, we usually hang these up around the school, but just thought, you know, we'd let you know that, you know, that's what she said, you know, and then, he he was saying that, you know, initially they wouldn't have her in like family photos that they were posting online because they felt like the vitriol would be so intense. They wanted to protect her and they just didn't want her to experience all this toxicity from the Internet. But then after a while, they thought, are we trying to protect her? Are we trying to protect ourselves? And he said, ultimately, as a parent, My goal is to make sure that all of my children are seen. All of my children can be themselves. That's my job as their dad. And this is really, really powerful because so many of us grow up with our parents as trying to enforce their own vision and their own ideas on us. You know, he was saying that how many young black trans kids are committing suicide, are at risk, you know, And he was saying when he watched Pose with Zion, I don't know if you watch Pose. Oh, I've watched a couple of episodes of the first season and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I had watched the episode they mentioned where one of the boys, his father kicked him out because he had some gay magazines and the dad kicked him out. And when his daughter saw that, she clutched. (gasps) She was so shocked because they had offered so much warmth in that family. She'd obviously been embraced. She can be herself at home. She didn't know that this is what people... Are yeah. going through. And especially within um, the African-American community or within, within the black community, you're more likely to be rejected because of your sexuality than you are to be 
embraced and accepted. And it's very important that we acknowledge that and we, we move forward from that. So yes, it is controversial, but if it is going to move things forward a bit, if it's going to make a kid feel like, well, at least there's another person like me, even if I'm not at the point where I can verbalize what I think or how I feel, I think if it can just make one child feel comfortable with who they are, I think that's positive. Totally. And I think as well, it's interesting to me, and I I know this is a little bit of a pivot, but you and I had spoken about it, you know, this past week anyway. But when you then look at everything that's been going on with Derek Jackson and what I feel is a real weaponization of Christianity in that particular context, again, that doesn't get as much backlash as Lil Nas X. And what I think is so interesting about that is Lil Nas X was never saying that he was the pinnacle of Christian society. He's not talking about his religion. He's not talking about his morals or pretending that he is in a position of moral resplendence, right? He's living his values and he's living his truth. But then you've got Derek Jackson, who, I mean, I'll let you take it from here to give more context because the cultural impact isn't something that I was aware of before this past week. (laughs) The cultural impact of Derek Jackson. (laughs) That story overwhelmed me last week, but essentially Derek Jackson is a black guy on the internet relationship expert you know he was always basically giving advice to women should they stay in this relationship shouldn't they stay in this relationship you need to love yourself you need to be confident so really just one of these like woke guys online that a lot of female followers gravitated towards and he holds himself up as this christian moral guy that treats women so well is incredibly polite would never cheat and then it turns out that he's a serial cheater. But not only is he a serial cheater, he's actually an abuser. So some of the women have come out and spoken about how he's like rough handled them, how he's spoken to them. And it is really emotionally abusive. And there are examples of him being physically abusive. And then it's so shocking, like you said, that look at this person that's put themselves on this pedestal and is coming out and saying, you know, I'm a Christian, this is my lifestyle. But then they lead a double life and people were shocked by it, but people didn't condemn him in the way that I'm seeing Lil Nas condemned. Yeah, it's bonkers because, again, this only came on my radar because you told me about it. And so and I was seeing people post about it on social media and then I was like, okay, this bears kind of closer inspection. So then when I was watching the the video where he's acknowledging all of his infidelities and his wife is sitting beside him on the sofa, and that was just a heartbreaking scene because you think you've humiliated this woman by breaking your vows and now you are making her sit through it while you tell your audience mm-hmm. about your infidelities. Yeah, that video with his wife was really uncomfortable to watch. You know, I felt it was like she was a hostage, essentially. And she's come out with her own videos after. And I would say she needs professional help. Like, she needs professional help now. You know, mm-hmm. she basically, they, again, they use they weaponize God and religion. And her whole thing is that this is a battle. No weapon formed against me shall prosper all this like the blood of Jesus 
And that's really tough as well, because I think in those instances, in religious context, the sacred vow is always weaponized against women. You know, women have to stay in relationships where infidelity has taken place or, you know, there's been some breach of trust because you made a sacred vow to one another, which is kind of what I'm seeing being said about Derek Jackson's wife, who, to my shame, I don't even know her name. But there's no kind of narrative about, yeah, but he already broke those sacred vows. But people on Instagram are saying to her, you need to leave, you need to leave, you need to leave, you need to get help, you need to leave. But their situation is incredibly toxic, right? And I think it's so difficult for us to just have this snapshot of of what we're seeing. But clearly she's with someone that has got such a mental hold on her and she can't escape. And also, I think that one of the hardest things for me to to kind of see in that that whole saga was the overt disrespect, because then not only does he record the whole, you know, I'm telling you, Derek Jackson didn't just flirt. He had ongoing relationships. It's like, okay, firstly, I don't know why you're referring to yourself in the third person. Stop doing that. But then he goes one further and he films a reaction video to him watching this clip. And he's making fun of his wife in that reaction video. And I just thought, just leave this woman alone. Like, at the very least, do you not have enough love for her that you're not just going to humiliate her like this? I was so overwhelmed because every day there was a new video, either from her or from him or some YouTuber. And so... I don't know, it just made me really sad. It made me so sad because, like, imagine being in a relationship with someone, like, being married as well and being the mother of his children. So this is, like, a real relationship. And then you're hidden from the public. Like, he acts like he's not in a relationship. And then it comes out that he has this relationship with you and essentially you're a punchline. Yeah. So that's what happened with her. But... It's also interesting for me that you have this whole trend of like men online giving women advice on their dating. And I don't know if this is happening like in the general population, but I have noticed it with Derek Jackson and I have noticed it with Kevin Samuels. So I've had a crash course now on Kevin Samuels, but I'm looking forward to hearing you speak about him more. I don't know. I don't think that it does happen as much for the kind of white demographic, right? I think that that same kind of advisory capacity exists, but it tends to be driven by fellow white women. Mm -hmm. So immediately the name that springs to mind for me is Dolly Alderton, who's a journalist and an author. And she talks a lot about being unlucky in love and always looking for love and all of this kind of stuff. But yeah, this idea that, men are advising women on how to find partners and what to do to find a partner. There's something very toxic about it in the first instance. And I also just think it is, I don't know, I'm reluctant to kind of commit fully to what I'm about to say, because I also know that I'm married. And so there's part of me that's like, oh, well, you're not qualified to speak on it then, because you don't know. I got married, I think when I was 26. So Again, I was never at an age where I was worried about not getting married. Do you know what I mean? Because part of me also feels that it's such an inauthentic way to meet someone. But 
my own experience you know my husband's a hairdresser and he was my hairdresser and that's how we met and so part of me is like no but it is easy to meet people look at how randomly I met my partner and that is just complete anecdotal evidence so yeah I think it's really hard to meet people now I met my husband in 2014 I think that was the last that was the last time (laughs) when did you when what year did you meet your husband I actually think it could have been 2014-ish. Yeah, that was the last window. That was yeah. <laughs> that was the last window. 2014, 2015, I think it was like the last window. Um, and even then, that was like not linear. Do you know what I mean? There was still the aspect of like, oh, you've met someone, but it's not totally official immediately. Like we're dating. We're also dating other people. You know, there was a robustness to that that was kind of like, yeah, but this is just what everyone's doing you know, almost like the permeation of New York kind of American drama narrative where it's like, yeah, you're supposed to be dating multiple people. So I would go through bursts of doing that and then be like, oh, I'm not enjoying this at all. (laughs) You know, this kind of thing. But I think that a lot of people do that for a lot longer. So you have people doing that and then their mid 30s. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually not enjoying this. I would like to settle down. And then from Kevin Samuels philosophy. So the women that call Kevin Samuels say they want a high value man. And by high value, they basically mean a man with a high income. And then you have women that are calling him that are in their late 20s to mid 30s. I don't know if anyone beyond their mid 30s has called him, but they'll be in their late 20s. They'll be in their 30s. And Kevin Samuels will basically tell them, you don't have a chance. And the reason why they don't have a chance is they're not pretty enough. They're not slim enough. They don't even know where to meet the type of man that they're looking for. And they're too old. (laughs) There's a currency at play here, right? That, That often just isn't spoken about. And I don't even know if you could call it dated, but I let's say dated for the purpose of this particular podcast, I was seeing someone casually who was wildly out of my pay grade, like from a super wealthy family, went to, you know, a very expensive private school, all of this kind of stuff, like already owned a house. We were in our early twenties, you know, owned this fabulous, like four story house, this kind of thing. And there was a, a point at which, you know, I don't know, were we out for food or something like that? And I suddenly thought, oh, my God, like, I'm your bit of rough in this situation. But I've never had to think of myself in that way because, like, there's no, like, wrong side of the tracks narrative here. But it's like, I'm quirky to you because I'm not wealthy. So the anecdotes that I tell, you're like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. What do you mean you've never been to South America? You know, this kind of thing. And it's like sometimes when you're with people who are wealthier than you, There are things that you cannot do, right? A good way I I think of describing this is like, you might see, okay, we, we can't park on this street, for example. Whereas someone who is wealthy is like, no, no, you can, you just have to pay to. But it's like, but the payment that you're talking about is a fine, but you just don't see that fine as like an actual inhibitor to you just doing whatever you want you're paying 15 quid for just a casual meal. And I'm like, oh, that's actually quite expensive on a whim, you know? And so I think that when Kevin Samuels is saying you're too old or you don't have the skills, 
to get yourself a high value man. There's probably a little bit of truth to that because... There's a little bit of truth to it for sure. But if you watch Kevin Samuels, he's so direct. He's not rude, but he's so direct. I think that's what makes people uncomfortable. I'm saying he's not rude in the sense that he doesn't say derogatory things to the women, but like he explains things in a way where they come out feeling delusional, if that makes sense. And I think from his perspective, you know, if you're in your early 20s, so basically from his perspective, he'll say to the women, okay, what kind of salary range would you be looking for? And they'll say, okay, um, about 400,000 plus. And then he says, what percentage of men in America make 400K plus? And then they'll say, oh, I don't know, maybe 10%. And he says, no, 1%. And then he'll ask them like more and more questions around what their preferences are. And then he'll say, what's the age range? Like when do men really hit their peak financially and then they'll say oh I don't know 35 and then he's like no 45 and he'll be talking to a 29 year old are you open to dating older guys no not really I prefer to date someone around my age so I think what he's doing is basically saying to them that if you don't have youth if you don't have beauty if you don't want to have children then you're not really a match for the average guy in this situation because he's now in his mid forties. He's incredibly successful. A lot of the time they'll be thinking about family and legacy. That's what Kevin Samuel says. Whereas if they had met a woman when they were young, it's more about the partnership you grow together. And then maybe they could be a couple without children because they're partners. But if you're going to just come into someone's life when they built their success, what is it that you plan to bring to the table? That is exactly what I was going to say. What are you going to bring to the table? Because, you know, if it's the case that you're not looking to compromise on X, Y, Z, it's like, okay, so just to be clear, just to hone in on this central thesis, you want to be with a a high value man, someone who's earning 400k plus a year, so that you can spend his money. Exactly. And that's what he gets down to. And they'll say stuff like, oh, but I also want to work. And then he'll say, how much do you earn? And then they'll say, oh, 50K. And he's like, so that's 10% of what you expect your partner to bring in. Why would you go out there and work? Why can't you be at home and then raise the children? And also, there is nothing wrong with that because I often think in that situation, stay at home and be be paid to be staying at home. Do you know what I mean? Let, whatever arrangement you work out, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to set the feminist cause back 50 years here, but I don't think that there is anything wrong with you saying, and you mentioned this actually a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Meghan Markle, that you said, I get the feeling from Meghan Markle that she had an idea in mind of, you know, not, oh, I want to marry the Prince of England and then I want him to step away from royalty and move to Montecito. <laughs> which is what I think people interpreted you as saying. <laughs> the comments on our TikTok were out of control. <laughs> but, the, you know, it is appropriate to say, well, listen, here are my ambitions. I'm clearly cultivating a brand of myself. I want to be with someone who is aligned with that. I am hanging out with successful, ambitious people. I am successful. I'm ambitious. I want, and I'm not saying that she said this, but... I want someone who lends credibility to my hustle. 
So I'm looking for old money. Yeah. And the thing is with Megan, she's an outlier compared to the, the Kevin Samuels model because she's been married before and then and she's not in her early 20s. But Megan is, of course, very good looking, accomplished. There's a bunch of other things that she's bringing to the table. But what's really interesting when you listen to Kevin Samuels, you know, for me, what became really apparent is that as young women, as millennial women, we have started to like we judge ourselves on our own accomplishments. We want to be successful. But if you are now saying I want to date someone with a specific income and I just don't think and maybe all men in general, they don't necessarily look at a woman and say, I want to have a woman that earns X amount of money. Like men don't necessarily care about the money that you earn and the accomplishments that you have. There are other criteria that they're looking at when they're looking for a partner. And so we'll sit there saying, oh, my gosh, I'm successful. I own my property. I have this. I have that. And then how come I can't find anyone? I'm an independent boss, babe. And so you can't find anyone because men don't necessarily say I want a woman that has those things because those are things that they may be bringing to the table and also I think that there is you know however progressive we get or however progressive we think we get as a society there is a certain amount of gender stereotypes that are still baked into us and can I ask you about that because I think the challenge is here is that the women that call up the Kevin Samuel show want a man to do the traditional role but they don't want to do the traditional role themselves. That's it. That's like the nail on the head. And there is no issue with you being a stay-at-home mum or a trophy wife, because I think plenty of people are stay-at-home parents, right? It's not necessarily the same kind of Kevin Samuels situation. But if you are going to be a trophy wife, right, if that's your, your aspiration, then you need to be one. And I think that there is a component here. So I'm the higher earner of myself and my husband. And if and when we have children, he will be their primary caregiver. And that's fine. It's logical. It makes sense. Of course, I'm also ambitious about my career and I'm driven and I want to be continuing to work. But when I've said that to people, people will say, God, aren't you lucky? And people have said things to me like, and obviously this is completely hypothetical. I'm not pregnant, nor am I looking to be pregnant anytime in the immediate future. But I said it to someone and they said, you know what, how does it feel to know that you've won? Because my husband will take care of our children. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with the surprise because like I said, gender stereotypes are still baked into us. There's a lot of conscious unlearning that has to happen there. But if you've still got someone who will for example, praise my husband's masculinity for being able to be with someone who out-earns him. It's like, okay, well, clearly there's a way to go for where... But the issue would be if you have a partner where you, as the woman in the relationship, are the breadwinner, and the partner says, well, I'm not interested in taking care of kids. Right. And so that's what's happening with the women that call up the Kevin Samuel show. Like one of them said, I don't want, I don't want to have kids. And then he said, okay, so how is this going to work <laughs> with this high value man, right? He's like, how is that going to work? Because a lot of the time the man would want a family in this kind of context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, and she she said, oh, well, I recently changed my mind on that. I would be willing to have some children. But unfortunately, and I know that we have a lot of women that listen to the podcast, we do kind of have to face the music in a sense that the older you get as a female, the less leverage you have. Unless you're Oprah Winfrey, which, I mean, if you are, call me, right? <laughs> I want to be your friend. Oprah, I can't believe you've been listening to this podcast the whole time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, unless you're Oprah, from a dating pool perspective, because men have a broader range, age range that they can date, and maybe it will start to change for women. But because men have such a broader age range, by the time a guy hits 35 years old, he's got more options in the market than a 35-year-old woman. The challenge we have as millennial women is that, I guess it's a question for another show, like, can you really have it all? Can you say that I want someone that earns X amount, but then you're not necessarily willing to have children, you're not not necessarily into taking care of the home, (laughs) you're not necessarily into working out, you just want to be you, you want to do your thing, but then you also expect your partner to be delivering a certain standard of living. I mean... I think that the answer is no, obviously. I know that it's like a hypothetical question. But yeah, but... that's the answer. Compared to Kevin Sanders, he's like, no, you can't have it. <laughs> it doesn't look good for you. It's like a magic eight ball. <laughs> Ask again later. But it is tough because I think that it is a conversation that many women, and particularly the demographic of this podcast, will be asking themselves where things like, marriage and buying a property or getting pregnant and having a career and all of those things really start to to factor in in a much heavier sense and the problem is that there are always outliers who are making it work and then it's like there turns out to have been a huge boost behind the scenes you know oh well my husband and I were able to make it work and we both worked full-time and now we're both on you know high six-figure salaries and it's like oh it turns out that your parents bought you a home when you got married it turns out that your dad's actually a hedge fund manager Mm -hmm. exactly and talking about this reminds me of when I was when I was watching Indian Matchmaker and one of my friends who's Italian said she was very shocked watching Indian Matchmaker because a lot of the requirements were around financial security. I'm a lawyer. I earn six figures. I would expect my partner to be earning six figures. And she said she was really shocked by this. And so I think still with the Indian community, see this in the African community, a lot of the time women will say, I earn this much. I would want my partner to earn this much. But what I think we will see going forward is like a shift where people are more open-minded And it's not about I bring this to the table. This other person must bring what I bring to the table. It's about achieving balance in a relationship and being open-minded. And so that's why I say men at 35 have more options because they can just go to Tesco and say she's pretty and just go marry her. But a lot of women are concerned with, you know, I have a friend who's in a serious relationship and she said she was concerned about telling her partner what she earned because she was worried that she earned a bit more than him. Like, they still don't know what the other earns. Oh, really? And she doesn't want it to be an issue that he would be uncomfortable because she earns more. So I think that women are still worried that, oh, will this guy be able to handle it if I earn a bit more, that they feel that I must be with someone that earns as much or more than me. But we need to widen the pool of talent, (laughs) right? So people don't call up Kevin Samuels and get humiliated every day. 
Well, and also we need to open the dialogue, whether or not you you open the pool of candidates, you need to certainly be able to speak about these things openly and realistically, because, and I've said this on the podcast before, specifically with regards to money chat, it's not something that comes easily to me. You know, my husband talks about finances and our savings and, you know, plans and things like that quite easily, but I hate doing it the shame is baked into me when it comes to money things. And so I think that speaks to the the broader kind of narrative. You can hypothetically say, okay, yeah, I'm looking for X, Y, Z, but are you prepared to have actual conversations around that and what you are doing as a value add? That's the question that everyone should be asking. Are you a value add? And is your partner a value add? Are you adding value to one another? exactly and enriching each other's lives also just as a final note to squeeze in a royals reference because i thought about this in the context of kate and megan and what i thought was megan has her eggs in a row she's held a job she's got her own money kate has only ever been william's girlfriend and now when he's cheating on her she has nowhere to go she is trapped in a relationship where the dogs on the street know that he's having affairs but if she leaves him, who's going to take on stepfather duties to the future King of England and his two younger siblings? So yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you. Like you need to find a way to obviously have balance in your relationship, but still maintain your independence. Right. So I completely agree with you, but thank you so much for listening guys. Follow at Jules Phoebe on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening and share the podcast with a friend. Bye guys. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.